How are you guys? Well, I got a new Bible, so I had to bring it to show you. I was talking about the English Standard Version. This is an English Standard Version Bible with a 17-point font. You can probably read it from the back, can't you? You know what's sad? Is that I got it, and then the next morning I made my cup of coffee and I sat down in my chair to read it, and I still put my cheaters on. <laughs> ah, to get old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yo, there's more than, huh? Well, we're on this journey in John, which, which I'm enjoying immensely, learning a ton in a fresh way from John. And one of the things that we discover is that there's this revelation search. People are, are wondering, are you the real Messiah? Because if you're the real Messiah, then we're going to get real life. And they're using all kinds of measuring sticks and all kinds of, looking for all kinds of signals. But there is in all of us a craving for the real. That's why we got all kinds of sayings. We say, be real or get real or for real. And we're trying, to, we're trying to discern, okay, is this the real deal? And some things will advertise that they're the real thing, and sorry, Coke, you're not it. There, there could be a bunch of Pepsi drinkers in here this morning. But. And you see the search in the gospel as we unpack it, because there's Nicodemus, the teacher of teachers, the rabbi of rabbis, and he's searching. He's trying to search out, are you the real Messiah? And there's the Baptist who's shouting to anyone who will really listen, look, behold, there's the Lamb of God. And then we hear the story of the Samaritan woman at the well, an unlikely person gets to hear from the real thing that he's the real thing. And then the whole community hears that he's real. And you see, what you notice in the story then is that Jesus has got his world tour moving through and, and he wants people to really get it. He's the light of the world. He's the living truth. And he wants them to see and understand I'm the real deal. And then there's a whole group over here that are using all kinds of measuring sticks and strategies to try to figure out, is he really who he says he is? And we can empathize because in our world, there's a lot of counterfeits. You can get real and fake Rolexes. You can get Real and fake Uggs. You can get real or fake Chanel. I think, ladies, you probably discern. It looks like motor oil, doesn't it? Like, good grief. You can get real or fake Adidas shoes. That's true for anything that's popular. Converse, you can get real or fake. And, of course, there's this real or fake money that's out there. Which 10 do you think is counterfeit? What do you guys think? How many think top? How many think bottom? The bottom group is right. I like how a whole bunch of you don't even vote. What is that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we don't like fake because when it's not real, it, it seems like it steals from our life. 
And Jesus is working that people would get real. And, and they're, this other group of people that say they're searching for real are using a different set of signs to determine whether or not Jesus is really who he says he is. And in particular, they like this sign of the Sabbath. It's one of the big signs that they look for. It's one of the big markers that they would look for in you. If you're really following the Messiah, you'll do a Sabbath in a certain way. It's the measuring stick that they use. The problem is their Sabbath isn't real. It's not the intention of the maker of Sabbath, the Lord of Sabbath, Jesus himself. And so when he comes in, there's a collision of belief systems because the Lord of the Sabbath is coming in and he does things that drives them crazy. Like what Sharon taught on last week. There's this 38-year-old paralyzed person laying there. And he says, on the Sabbath, pick up your mat and walk. Oh, that's a no-no. You don't pick up your, your mat on the Sabbath? No. And so he's telling this guy, apparently, who gets healed, walks probably for the first time in his life, and there's this tumult that happens when the Pharisees see him carrying his mat. And so he doesn't even know who Jesus is. And this is what John 5, 15 and 16 says. The man encounters Jesus, and then he goes away after he finds out, oh, you're the guy that healed me. And he tells the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Now get this. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Why? Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Oh, no. Jesus, you naughty guy. Now think about this for a moment. If you're really trying to discern, is this guy a real prophet, a real teacher, a real Messiah, which sign would verify it, it more significantly? Sign number one is, oh, look, you keep the Sabbath just like we do. You don't pick up your mat just like we do. Yay, yay, you must be on our team. Or sign number two, you speak to a guy who's been paralyzed for 38 years and he gets up and walks. How many think that this sign over here, you keep the Sabbath like us, verifies that he's the Christ more than this sign? How many pick sign number one? Sign number two, everybody votes on this one, you guys. Yes, it's so obvious. So what happens? These, these are intelligent, earnest people. I mean, sometimes we, we make the Pharisees sound like they're kind of goofy, they're kind of kooky, but they're earnest. They're digging in, they're trying to... So what happens in their faith practice? What happens in their understanding? I think what happens is they slide off the intent. Just like a good old Minnesota winter day. Everything's just sliding around. They slide off because here's what happens. We tend to choose the commands of God that we're able to actually do. And the ones that maybe not, we tend to steer away from, but we like to grab Sabbath because that's, that's a great one. You don't have to work on the Sabbath. 
And so they grab it and they make it their own and they begin to issue out all these crazy additions that takes them so far away from the intent. And this one I'm going to need my cheaters for because this font in this commentary is about six points. So I want to give you some idea of how far off the rails these guys had slid in their quest to try to keep Sabbath. Number one, looking in a mirror was forbidden. The rationale was that if you looked into a mirror on the Sabbath day and you saw a gray hair, you might be tempted to pull it out and thus perform work on the Sabbath. Lucky me. I mean, there's not much happening there. Listen, number two, you also could not wear your false teeth because if they fell out, you would have to pick them up and that would be work. Seriously, this is an elaboration of what work on. So here's another one. You could not carry a handkerchief on the Sabbath, but you could wear one. That meant if you were upstairs and wanted to take a handkerchief downstairs, you would tie it around your neck, walk downstairs and untie it. The Jews even debated about a man with a wooden leg. Namely, if his house caught on fire, could he carry his wooden leg out of the house on the Sabbath? This is the one that really blows me away. You could spit on the Sabbath. Well, thank goodness. <laughs> but you had to be careful where you spit because if you spit on the dirt and then scuffed it with your sandal, you would be working the soil. <laughs> so they, they elaborate because they want to keep the Sabbath. So what does keeping the Sabbath mean and avoiding work? And they make all these elaborate rules. And Jesus is like, you guys are not getting it. So when he steps in, he wants them, yes, to see that he's the real deal. But also he's going to talk to them about what real Sabbath is. In fact, he's going to live it out before them. Now, Sabbath is a big deal. Consider the Ten Commandments. The first commandment is you shall have no other gods before me. That's a big one, right? That's a big deal. Second commandment, you shall make no idols. Of course, if you have no other gods, no other idols. Big commandments, honor those. Third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Absolutely. I mean, we're talking significant. There are moments in the Old Testament where people would take the name of the Lord in vain and, oof, frightening moment. Look at the next command. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Four? After the big three about God, four is Sabbath? Let's see what follows. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. Are you kidding me? Sabbath day is ranking up higher. Now there's debates about is this rank order? Is this just a general collage? I think there's a, there's, there's a little bit of both. I'll explain to you why. You shall not commit adultery, not steal, don't bear false witness, don't covet. Right smack dab in the middle of these things sits the Sabbath. Why? Why? Perhaps, I suggest to you, my premise this morning, is that Sabbath is so important to be set apart for God because it gives us 
the right connection with him and with each other. And when we don't practice a Sabbath as Jesus intends for it to be practiced, we can slide off the rails just as they did. Because the reality is, is that the Sabbath is made for us. God doesn't need to rest. Jesus is going to tell us in a moment he doesn't rest. But he creates this space, this Sabbath space, whereby there can be a connecting with God and a flow that moves us through a place where we find ourselves really fulfilling the commandments. So in the midst of this, Encounter this man gets healed on the Sabbath. Jesus has instructed him to pick up his mat and walk. Pharisees are upset. Whoa, whoa, what are you doing breaking the Sabbath like that? Jesus is going to lay down some principles about what Sabbath is really about. And the first one he does by saying to them, My father is working. Till now I'm working. Always working. Jesus, why is that important with Sabbath? Why is that an important point? Well, the reason is God is always working so we can rest. You see, the reason that we don't rest is we think everything's pending on us. Oh, if it will be, it's up to me. I've got to do it. i got my to-do list. God forbid that I don't get through that. The world will stop. Everything will fall apart. And we shoulder this load as if really the world spins on our shoulders. Jesus is saying, phooey. Mm -mm. Sabbath is a deliberate practice and remembrance of God who has worked for us. The reason we have air to breathe, gravity holding us, a planet spinning, occasional sun in Minnesota is because there's this God who sustains all things. It isn't like, you know, oh gosh, the sun's missing. Someone call Spencer. I think this is the day that he's supposed to get the sun up. No. You see, and, and Sabbath brings us into an intimate awareness and connection with he who sustains all things and is always working, who has made all this and given it to you. And so the creational rhythm that he sets is he's working, day one, working day two, three, four, five, six, and then he says, it's all yours. I made it for you. But listen, before you get into your management program and you begin to dig in and do all these different things, stop. Stop and remember who it is that made this for you. Remember his generosity in making it for you. Remember how he is the one that sustains all things. Remember. You see, too often we forget, and instead of working from rest, we work really hard hoping we get some rest. But the creational rhythm from the foundation of time, from the beginning of the planet spinning, has been this grain that God has set. Work from rest. Think about it. What's the classic biblical prescription for people who are overworked and stressed? 
one of the most spoken verses when someone says, I am burned out, I'm overwhelmed, I'm exhausted, is this verse right here. Listen to it. Come to me, this is Jesus, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Isn't it amazing and astounding that the answer to our fatigue, our stress, our burnout is a yoke? Is that we would come under this amazing yoke. Can you imagine for a minute the yoke of Jesus? I mean, you look at how powerful these animals are. Probably somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 pounds apiece. They've discovered that when you yoke them together, there's a synergy to happen. It seems like one oxen provokes the other, and they pull even harder together than if they were apart. But imagine the yoke of Jesus, the one who holds all the universe, who speaks to the dead and they live, who opens blind eyes, who causes the lame to rise after 38 years. Imagine the density and the depth and the weight and the strength of this yoke. You get to step underneath it. Do you think he needs your help? We get to ride along. I was telling first service that I used to work at the security team. Bouncer, we would work these concerts. And one of the guys that I worked with was a big guy, 6'8", probably over three bills, football player for University of Wisconsin. His name was Bear. He had the biggest hands I've ever seen in my life. I mean, no kidding. His hands were just massive. And he was this big, strong, chilled out guy. And we were working the Eagles concert. And the crowd was crazy. And Bear and I were down in this one gate entrance where people could come out in the field and they were starting to rock the fence. And it was rocking and the people were all cheering and getting crazy. And, and Barry says, he says, I'm getting out of here. I'm going up in the bleachers, you know. And Spencer's just like, la, 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 la. All of a sudden, bam, the gate goes down. And it was like a, one of those soccer stampedes. People are gone. And all of a sudden, I feel this hand come down and grab me by the back and hook my under the, and pulls me right up into the stands. And it's bare. Spencer, you're stupid. <laughs> Can you imagine when we're in the yoke of Jesus? The power. The proximity. Can you imagine? I sometimes wonder, like Simon of Serene, when he gets under the cross, even though Jesus is beaten to a pulp brutally, and he shoulders the cross. Can you imagine, though? You're walking step for step with the King of Majesty. In a minute, he could call legions of angels, turn the world inside out. But in his immense power, he refuses to do that for you and I. What Jesus is beginning to issue out to these Pharisees is it's not about you stopping your work. It's about you joining with God and his. He says this, Truly, truly, the mouth of two witnesses, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. 
It's this idea of connection, of synchronizing, of working together, collaborating, a father and a son, a father and his children together in Sabbath, flowing. And it becomes a Shabbat Shalom. Shalom is what Israel is craving, peace, where the Creator and the created are, are finally together and they're finally experiencing what heaven should look like, what peace should look like, what wholeness looks like. It's a Shabbat Shalom. And it happens when we do what He does. So what is a real Sabbath then? But I had to stop. I, I looked at it. I said, Lord, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm doing it right. I thought it was like a day off where I could eat an extra chocolate chip cookie. And, you know, you slide off into something that you think is going to restore you, that's going to make you happy. And that's fine. I don't think God's saying, Mark, you got to be miserable for my name's sake. No. But that's, that's just reinforcing my limited resources. It's just... It's just stirring what Mark could do. What would happen if I get in the yoke with him in a different way? And where all of a sudden, out of my weekly meeting, life flows. The power to get things done. The way it gets done, how it gets done, when it gets done, all flows from this partnership. Could it be, I asked myself, Mark, that I'm forfeiting seeing miracles? Because when I'm planning my week, I'm looking at what I can do. I'm not looking through the lens of what we could do. Are there people that I'm walking by that need healing and I'm not, I'm not stepping in because I'm, I'm not flowing out of Sabbath. I'm just flowing out of my ability. I was like, no, Lord. And so I, I, I said what does it look like? Help me to understand God. And I don't have, this is an exhaustive, I don't have the prescription for the best Sabbath. I started thinking, what does it look like, Lord? And I realized as an old guy, you know, I kind of pictured this. Not that God has a cane. <laughs> but sitting with God, and he is the one who was, who is, and who will be. In other words, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere at once. But I'm not. And I need to sit with the omniscient one, the omnipresent one. And I need to, 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 to say, Lord, let's look at this past week. Where were you? And so I did that. My Sabbath is on Friday. I started, I did the Jewish thing. I started Thursday night. Thursday night I sat down and I, and I took out my calendar, and I said, Lord, show me where you were. If I didn't practice the Sabbath, I would have missed it. He was all over the place. They were counseling things that I had no wisdom for. They were counseling things that were going south fast. And God grabbed them and turned them around. And I, I looked at it and I went, oh, wow, thank you. It seems so cheap, but thank you. Thank you. Places where I needed wisdom. I didn't know what to do, what to say. There were places and relationships where I, I, I was like, Lord, this is going to be hard. Came through all these places. And so I'm looking at what he's done, and I'm thinking, gosh, 
I'm excited for what you're going to do. But if I don't take Sabbath in the way he's attended, I miss it. I don't stay yoked. I don't experience the fullness of really seeing it. I become a little bit like those lepers that got healed and only one comes back. I'm like, God, I don't want to do that. We'll talk a little bit more about what that Sabbath looked like, but I want you to see what Jesus is doing in the flow of the story because he's being challenged about Sabbath, and then chapter 6 opens up, and we'll see in a moment he's going to give out a test because the reality is, is that whenever a teacher teaches, they're going to want to know, did the students really get it? Otherwise, what's the point of teaching? And the rabbi knows this. I want them to get out. Are, are they picking up the signals I'm sending to these Pharisees, correcting their view of the Sabbath and perhaps my students' view of the Sabbath? And so here's where the test rolls out, starting in John 6, 5. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? You better believe that Simon Peter was rejoicing he didn't get called on. Because he's usually the one, isn't he? Peter. <laughs> he's like, whew, man. Philip's got a hard one there. And Scripture's clear about what Jesus is doing. He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Why test him? Because he wants to see, do you understand Sabbath? Sabbath rhythm. What it means to partner to do what the Father's doing. And he's about to usher in an amazing Sabbath experience. In our life, we're going to run into situations all the time that are beyond our capabilities, our resources, our wisdom. They're just plain beyond us. Is this not true, people? Are you not there now? I am in so many different places. And I realize, oh, what am I going to do? I need a Sabbath a couple sermons ago, I talked about what the Oxford group did. Kind of, they laid the foundation, really, to modern-day AA. And their little phrase was this, I can't. God can. I think I'll let him. I can't. God can. I think I'll let him. That's Sabbath in action. Now, just like in school, when you see one of your fellow students drowning, usually another student will try to jump in and help. And here comes Andrew, bless his heart. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? A couple of things. Incidentally, for all of you who have been emotionally wounded because you were always associated with a sibling, Andrew's starting a support group. I mean, I don't know why John feels it necessary to go, Andrew, by the way, he's Simon Peter's brother, like, woo-wee. You know, I don't, I don't get that, but I look at that, I, I kind of giggle at that. But see, Andrew is a resourceful guy. He loves to network. He's a guy that brings his brother, Simon, to meet the Messiah. And here he is, he's bringing, he's been, he's been searching the crowd. He's been watching Philip sweat bullets because he doesn't know what to do. And he's doing the math. And meanwhile, Andrew is networking, finding out, is there any food out here? 
So what's the idea? What's it mean for Sabbath? Sabbath is another time where we bring what we have to him who can make much of it. When you open your cupboard, it looks a little bare. You open your checkbook, it looks really bare. Remember, bring what you have to him who multiplies. Why? Does God need some starter fuel? No. The intent of God is that you and I would experience a deep emotional, relational connection with Abba. Bring the little you have, Spencer, but bring it. And you and I will go for this ride and you'll be able to experience what is it like? See, what if Sabbath is about taking the little we have and allowing God to multiply it in our midst? And we miss that because we're not practicing the real Sabbath. Jesus has a student's attention and he says to them, have the people sit down. Sitting down is a posture of rest. Sabbath. Sit down. If you sit down, that means you're going to stop scrambling like, oh, what do I got in the cupboard? Or what do I got over here? And maybe I can call Cub Foods. You know, no, 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 no. Sit down, Mark. Sit down. One preacher said it this way. When we rest, God works. When we work, God rests. We need to sit down, stop worrying, stop scrambling, stop trying to solve it alone, and rest and him who is the answer. Now can you imagine this experience that invited in? This is a Sabbath experience. He starts giving this happy meal out to the 12 to go to these groups of people. I don't know what it looks like, but don't you want highlight reels in heaven? I do. I want to see Jesus walking on the water. I want to see what happens when Peter and the boys distribute the food. I really do. Can you imagine? It'd be weird. It's like you got this loaf of bread and they go down. And, and so I, I, I give Jeff a chunk of bread and all of a sudden, boop, boop. And then TL, a chunk of bread, boop, boop. And I throw it over to Dan and Tina, boop, boop, boop. And it's just blowing. You're like, wow, this is crazy. And Peter's like, get your bread here. And he's throwing it out to people. And there's this multiplication. You see, God wants to involve us in his work. That's a, it's a dynamic we're not making that happen. He is, but we're experiencing it as it happens. That's shalom. That's Shabbat shalom. That's Sabbath. Crazy how these people experience this. And then what's crazier still is if this God can multiply a happy meal and feed thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Could he not calibrate just how much he needed? Last piece of bread. Here you go, Steve. Enjoy. Instead, he's serving another lesson. He tells them, gather the fragments. Nothing may, may be lost. Demonstrating to the disciples what happens here and now can carry you through the next couple of days. Your Sabbath and connection 
will be provision for what you step into. Your God isn't stingy like, uh, 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 you only get one piece of toast, one little bite of fish. Those people were rolling on the ground Thanksgiving full. They're like, oh, Peter, no thanks, man. I can't have another chunk of fish. And as they go, can you imagine the, the power of the moment? Stuffed people watching food multiply, and now you're gathering 12 baskets full. And you look at it, and you go, this is a demonstration of the Almighty's goodness to us. Oh, that we would partner with him. Can you see it? In the feeding, the Sabbath. My concern is that what if our busyness takes us away from God's business and the joy of seeing his miraculous provision? So what I just knew to do and what I started to do was this Sabbath practice where I'm going to set an intentional day to reflect, to notice, to give thanks, to rest in what God has done, what God is doing, and what God promises to do in a way that it's with me. It doesn't stay over there. It stays with me as I walk through my day and my week. And that it would create a posture of partnership that we tap into his power and work because what I'm concerned about is as I, as I step out, am I only moving in the capacity that Mark Spencer has, which is puny? What am I missing, Father? By not abiding with you on the Sabbath in a way that flows out into the next week. Henry Nouwen says that our task is to help people concentrate on the real but often hidden event of God's active presence in their lives. Hence, the question that must guide all organizing activity in church is not how to keep people busy, but how to keep them from being so busy that they can no longer hear the voice of God who speaks in silence. It is only in the stopping It is only in the pausing, it is only in the Sabbath that we experience the fullness of what he wants to do in partnering for the rest of our life. So, I want to close in prayer, but I also want to close with the reading of Eugene Peterson's, I think, fabulous translation of the verse that we talked about before. There's some things that I'll highlight. Here's how Peterson translated it. Are you tired? You don't have to shout out. (laughs) Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. And you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. And work with me. Notice the yoke. Watch how I do it. This, I love this line. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Grace is that enablement from God that helps you do what you should do but can't do on your own. 
unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Anybody want to sign up for that course? I know I do. Unforced rhythms of grace. Learn to live freely and lightly. Learn of Him. That's a real Sabbath. Would you pray with me? Lord, I suspect that this morning is just an opening, a beginning of us starting to understand what it is in our lives that you want to create this Sabbath. Open our eyes, our ears. No condemnation, no shame. Thank you, Lord, that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's a new day, new mercy, new grace. But I pray that as we go back to worship and as we prepare our hearts for communion, that we would come to your table in such a way as to say, Abba, what does it look like to yoke with you, to partner with you, to experience the unforced rhythms of grace? And we pray that you would speak clearly and that we would have ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. As all my hope is in Jesus. I'm going to put my hope in him day after day.
gets him down to his knees And I've been broken more than a time or two, yes, Lord 